Good morning, everyone. After watching that video, I don't even think I need to preach a message. I think that says it all. But, hey, my name is Adam. I'm so glad to be with you all this morning. I feel like it's been a hot minute since I've been with you guys in a normal service. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was away in the Adirondacks leading a wilderness trip for young adults. Here's a picture of that to prove where I was. Um, It was Beautiful trip. We were there the time of year that was the peak for leaves changing color. Couldn't have asked for better weather. Awesome group of people. So I came back from that trip feeling very energized and refreshed. And then last Sunday, I didn't just go to church. Hopefully you didn't just go to church either because it was our don't just go to church, be the church Sunday. And I have continued to hear some really great reports from people in our community about how we could make an impact for them. I was at the gym uh, earlier this week, and an older guy who I sometimes talk to came up to me, and he was like, hey, I had some people from your church knocking on my door Sunday morning, and they asked if they could rake my yard. So I asked them how much they were charging, and they said they were doing it for free. So I said, get back there. And... (laughs) Before I knew it, they had finished raking my yard, and they were raking the neighbor's leaves as well. That's a really cool thing your church is doing. Thank you so much. So I just wanted to extend that thanks to all of you who were here this last Sunday and made that possible. I think that's what it looks like to be the church in our community, to not just be focused on what goes on inside of these four walls, but to take the message of Jesus, the example of Jesus, out to our community. So after being away for, well, it feels like away for two weeks, or at least not having a normal Sunday, I'm super excited to be back and to start off this new series called Exodus, the Human Story. And before I get into talking about what this series is about, let me just ask you this question. Have you ever been held in captivity? It's a pretty far-fetched question. Really, I just wanted to set myself up to tell a story about how I was held in captivity one time. I was at a Boy Scout camp, and this was the kind of camp where we had to sleep in a tent every night. And one night while I was asleep, somebody zip-tied the two zippers of my tent door together. So if you know how to get out of a tent, you got to take these zippers and move them in different directions to make an opening. Well... Since they were zip-tied together and the zip-tie was on the outside of the tent, I was pretty stuck. Normally, it wouldn't be a very big deal because I'm just sleeping. But it happened to be the night where the guy that I was bunking with woke up in the middle of the night and had to go to the bathroom really bad. And so he wakes up and he tries to get out of the tent and he realizes that we are trapped. So then he wakes me up. He's like, Adam... I really got to go to the bathroom, and I can't get out of the tent. Now, I'll admit, I was really tired at this point, not very compassionate. So I was like, just pee on your side of the tent, and we'll clean it up in the morning. (laughs) So talk about a messy situation. Like, this kid is pretty much in tears, and I'm going to leave the rest of the story as a cliffhanger. Like, all right, that's it. (laughs) So all that to say, I know what it's like to be held in captivity. Maybe you've never had an experience quite like that. But the reality is, all of us, at least at some 
point or another, have been held in captivity. We've all been slaves to sin. And maybe some of you still feel like you are in that bondage. And that's what we'll be talking about this morning. So if you would like to follow along with me in your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and we'll also have it up here on the screen. In verse 17, this is Paul writing to the Christians who are in Rome. He says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Paul's writing to these Christians and saying, you used to be slaves to sin. And if you're a believer here this morning, that's true for you. Our starting point, all of us, is to be slaves to sin. It's part of all of our history. Now let me just define what sin is. Sin is any motivation, thought, word, or action that goes against God's law. We're all guilty of doing that. And sin is kind of like our starting point in life. We are born into it. And from day one of our life, we are at odds with God because God is perfect and holy and sin is everything that is against God. And we choose to sin because we are sinners. It's who we are at our core. So that's the bad news. But the good news is that God made a way for us to have a relationship with him. When he sent Jesus to come to earth, die on the cross, and pay the price for our sin. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you are no longer a slave to sin. Sin is not your master anymore. And a lot of the the themes and the illustrations that we see in the New Testament actually have their roots all the way back in the Old Testament. And we can track this theme of slavery all the way back to the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus is a historical account of how God delivered his chosen people, the nation of Israel, out of slavery from Egypt and then sustained them in the promised land. And in kind of the overall picture of the Bible, those historical events in the book of Exodus are actually representations of spiritual realities. You see, for New Testament believers, bondage in Egypt is a picture of our old life to sin. And in this series called Exodus, the human story, as we get into the book of Exodus, we'll be seeing how God's story of delivering the people of Israel and sustaining them in the wilderness really parallels our own story. And so we'll see how Exodus is an illustration of three realities about our sin. And the first illustration is this. Sin subtly takes us into captivity. If you'd like to follow along with me in the book of Exodus, you can turn there right now by going to chapter 1. It's the second book in the Bible, right after Genesis. Exodus chapter 1, and I'll be in verse 6. 
It says, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave our country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. All right, so we've just jumped right into this story here. And so maybe you're wondering, all right, who's Joseph? What's going on here? Even though we're only in chapter 1 of Exodus, the book of Exodus is really a continuation of the book of Genesis. So I'll go back to the book of Genesis just a little bit to give you some background of what's going on here. You see, in the book of Genesis, God came to a man named Abraham, and he told Abraham that he would make a special nation out of Abraham's descendants. And this guy that we just read about in verse 6, Joseph, he's the great-grandson of Abraham. And Joseph has 11 other brothers. They are anything but one big happy family. Joseph's brothers hate Joseph so much that they were like this close to killing Joseph. And instead of killing him, they sold him into slavery. And when Joseph was sold into slavery, then he ended up in Egypt, where he experienced some of the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. At his lowest of lows, Joseph was living in a dungeon. But at the highest of highs, he was called out of that dungeon to interpret a dream for the king of Egypt. And God gave Joseph this ability to explain the dream to the king. Joseph said that, the king's dream represented seven years where there would be an abundance of food in all of the land. But following those seven years would be seven years of famine. And Joseph just kind of threw out this suggestion to the king. He's like, you know, if I was you, I would try to find somebody who can collect food during the years of plenty and then distribute that food during the years of famine. And the pharaoh's like, well... God's given you this ability to interpret dreams. You seem like a pretty smart guy. How about being the second most powerful man in all of Egypt? And so Joseph went from living in a dungeon to pretty much becoming royalty. And just like God had said through the dream, there were seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. And during those seven years of famine, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt to collect some of the food to bring back to their family. And when they came back to Egypt, they were reunited with Joseph. And shortly after that, they brought their father and all the rest of their family from the land of Canaan, which is today modern-day Israel, into Egypt. And the nation of Israel started putting down roots in the land of Egypt. And generations and generations go by. And it, there becomes another pharaoh. And he comes into power and he doesn't care about who Joseph is or what Joseph did for the nation of Egypt. 
The Israelites don't have the status of being Joseph's family. Instead, the king is intimidating, intimidated by how this nation is continuing to grow. And he's like, oh man, if they ever rise up to power and fight against us in battle, we're in trouble. And so he puts them into slave labor. And then more and more generations go by. These Israelites are just born into slavery. They didn't choose it. They didn't ask for it. Personally, they didn't even do anything to deserve it. They were just born into it. And this is where their story connects with ours. Sin subtly takes us into captivity. We're just born into it. Contrary to popular belief, we aren't inherently good people. That's not our starting point in life. David says in Psalm 53, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. And because of this sin nature that we have, we choose to sin. All of us are sinners like this. And we look around and we can't deny it. There's so much sin all over the place. But sometimes I think we normalize it. Like, yeah, that's just that's the way things are. Or sometimes we compare ourselves to other people and we think, as long as I'm not doing what they're doing, we tend to normalize sin or even minimize it. But sin is nothing that should be minimized or normalized. Sin is no joke. And here's the, the second reality about our sin. Our sin quickly turns from provider to oppressor. Let's go back to Genesis and read about this offer that Joseph's father and his family was first given to come to Egypt during the famine. And we can read about this in Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45, verse 16. It says, When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt that you can enjoy the fat of the land. You're also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Man, that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. Like, Joseph's father and his brothers, they're living in a famine right now. They had to travel, I, I didn't research the distance, probably like hundreds of miles to go from Canaan to Egypt just to get some food to live off of. And now they've got this invitation to come to Egypt and live like royalty? Yeah, sign me up for that. And what started out, as like a pretty good deal, it didn't work out so well in the end. It's kind of like when my Eskimo friend bought a new igloo. My friends and I put together a housewarming party for him, and now he's homeless. <laughs> so not such a good deal in the end. But let's go back to the book of Exodus and contrast how things were when they first moved to the land of Egypt versus how they are living under oppression. We'll go to verse 12. 
It says, but the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And I think that gives us a pretty clear picture of just how bad their oppression is. We can go back and just pick out some of those key words here. We've got key words like oppression, uh, work them ruthlessly, made their lives bitter, harsh labor, all kinds of work. Harsh labor again, worked ruthlessly. Man, that's some pretty serious stuff. I mean, we got words like all kinds of labor, work them ruthlessly. Those aren't words that I would throw around lightly. Actually, I reserve those kind of phrases for when I talk about the kind of chores I had to do when I was a kid. Yeah, my parents aren't here in this service, so I can get away with saying that. But the reality is that, that sometimes what we escape to is later what we become enslaved by. I'll say that again. Sometimes what we escape to is later what we become enslaved by. Now maybe, maybe you escape to alcohol as an escape from maybe depression or maybe it's just your idea of a good time. And alcohol addiction is the second highest addiction in America. Statistically, there are 18 million people struggling with this addiction. Maybe that's you. Maybe you went to alcohol because you thought that it had something to offer you, but now you feel like all it is doing is taking from your life, taking from your self-control, taking from your marriage, your health, or even your joy. Or maybe, maybe you escape to a relationship with a man or a woman who's not your spouse. And statistically, there people in America, there's 36% of us who go to an affair in the workplace. And maybe that starts with, with just getting appreciation like you don't get at home or somebody affirming what they like about you and making room for you in your schedule. And, and before long, you have this relationship that you're hiding from your spouse and you feel like you're in bondage to your desire to be with this other person even when you know that it's not right. I feel like I can't talk about slavery to sin without mentioning pornography. And I won't get into all the statistics, but one out of five Google searches on a mobile device is for pornography. And maybe that's what you escape to. Maybe you, you like where you're at and you don't want to change. Or maybe there's others of you who are struggling and you want to break free, but you don't want to tell anybody. You don't want anybody to find out because you're afraid of what they would think of you if only they knew. And so you're living in bondage to this. Maybe, you, maybe you're in bondage to a pattern of lying. You escape some of the hard things in life by just telling a lie and you can justify it or say, I, the truth is just too painful. And so you get caught up 
and lie after lie after lie in this mess of lies and you feel like you're so far gone that you can't even talk about the truth anymore and unravel all of those lies and so you are in bondage. And it could be pride in your life or maybe you're holding on to bitterness. There's just so many things that seem to offer us something and then they take a hold of our lives and keep us in bondage. And these things, they're not just painful, but sin offers life and delivers death. Let's keep reading in verse 15. It says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sapphira and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. Now just imagine this scenario here. A Hebrew couple has long been awaiting the birth of their baby. The mother's about to give birth, so the father sends for the Hebrew midwives. The Hebrew midwives come, and they immediately start helping and help deliver this beautiful baby into the world. The mother is healthy. The baby's healthy. And then the midwives say, we're sorry to tell you, but it's a boy. And then they kill the baby. And then with the death of that baby, it just dies a piece of the parent's heart. They donate the baby clothes to the neighbors down the street who just had a baby girl. The father takes the cradle and breaks it up into firewood just to burn it. They had anticipated bringing this life into the world, but at the end of the day, they're just left with death. Who would want to be in a situation like that? Who would want to be among the Israelites who are put to this ruthless and harsh labor and live under the oppression of a king who wants to murder their babies? Well, spoiler alert, God actually delivers them out of this slavery and oppression. But here's the crazy part, is when they're finally free from Egypt and wandering through the wilderness, they say that they want to go back to Egypt. We can read about this in Exodus 16. This is the whole nation of Israelites just complaining to Moses and Aaron, the leaders. They say, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out here into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Seems like they've forgotten just how bad Egypt is. Forgotten that they were put to this forced labor and lived under a king who was murdering their babies, or at least wanted to. And they seem to remember, yeah, Egypt wasn't that bad. Man, we had so much food when we lived in Egypt. Let's go back there. And they're saying this as they're like just a few steps away from freedom in the promised land. And we think, they're so crazy. Why would they want to go back to that kind of oppression? But don't we do the same thing with our sin? When we think about it, we tend to minimize the destructive consequences of our sin. And we tend to to elevate the pleasures that our sin could offer us. We could be a few steps away from freedom, 
then we turn back to the very thing that has kept us in bondage. Do you ever have that happen to you? Where your sin and then afterwards you're like, what was I thinking? Why did I go back to that? You probably don't even want to go back to that kind of slavery, but it's like this battle going on in your heart, and sometimes you're there and you feel like there is no hope, and you're wondering, is there really a way out? The good news is that there is hope, and this is the third reality about our sin. Freedom from sin begins with fearing God, and we can read about this in verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. These midwives, they outright disobeyed the Pharaoh of Egypt. and They let those babies live. Now, How could they have the courage to stand out against the most powerful man in the world at that time in history. I think it's because they feared God more than they feared the consequences of disobedience. You know, fear of God is really, it's not being scared of who God is, like, oh, I messed up, I don't know. Fearing God is actually part of having a healthy relationship with God. I think about it like this. When I was younger and even to this day, I have a healthy fear of my parents. When I was younger, it kept me from disobeying. I mean, I definitely disobeyed my few times. I was not perfect. But sometimes it worked. Sometimes I feared my parents enough to not disobey them because I knew that my disobedience would be disciplined. And even to this point in my life, I try to make good decisions that honor my parents because of this healthy fear I have for them. Fearing God is having a respect for God that leads us to live in obedience to him and to worship him. Back when I was at college, we had this system for making sure that our rooms were clean on campus. So when all the students were away at chapel, their resident assistants would go around from room to room on their floor and they would inspect all these rooms to make sure that they were clean. And there's a bunch of different categories that would be evaluated. Make sure that the bed is made. Make sure that the desk doesn't have any clutter and that the trash cans are not overflowing with garbage. And if something wasn't up to standard, then the student would get a check mark. And students were allowed so many check marks in the week, like three of them or something like that, before there was a more significant penalty. Now, to be honest, I kind of looked at this like a game. Like, I got three check marks before it's a serious penalty. So there would be days when I'm kind of in a hurry and I'm like, I'm not going to make my bed. Or I get towards the end of the week and it's like, I only got one check mark. Not even going to clean up my desk. And then 
If there were weeks when it felt like I was getting close to that line, that, then I'd kind of like, all right, I'd whip myself in shape and make sure that I tightened down and made sure that my room was clean. Sometimes if we don't fear God, we treat sin like a game. Maybe we'll think about some of the external consequences of our sin, but we don't think about just the fact that it disappoints God when we sin. We think of disappointing God as just like a check mark for not making our bed. Like, that's yeah, not really the worst consequence. It's not really that big of a deal. And it's like we think that our sin can offer us something better than living in obedience to God can offer us. But as we've talked about this morning, we know that sin really just delivers oppression in death. Or as my old pastor used to say all the time, that sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. And so we can have freedom from our sin when we choose to fear God. And as we start wrapping things up this morning, I just want to walk through some action steps for how we can have victory over this sin in our life. And the first action step is to grow in your fear of God. I think the best way to do that and to grow in your respect of who God is is to spend time in God's word, to know his love and his character and to see time after time again of accounts in his word of how God is faithful and how his ways are best. And if you don't have any kind of routine for spending time in God's word, I really just want to encourage you to take one of these 30-day reading plans from the Welcome Center and maybe it's just picking two days out of the week to read your Bible. I think that's an awesome start. Or maybe you already have a routine for reading your Bible. And my challenge for you is to set aside like 10, 15 minutes today, whether it's this afternoon or in the evening before you go to bed, and just put aside distractions and read Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. It's just a couple verses, but if you can spend this quiet time with God and reflect on some verses that really go along with this idea of how God has rescued us for sin, from sin, I think it'll be super helpful. And then thirdly, there's some of you who are in bondage to sin, and you feel like you're going at it alone. Maybe you want to stay there, and you don't want anybody to find out, or maybe you don't want to be there anymore, but you feel like you can't tell anybody. My challenge for you is to tell somebody. When you're in bondage to sin, you don't have to tell everybody, but tell somebody. It's not God's design for you to be going at this alone without the strength of God or without the help of other believers and this might be the step that it takes for you to have somebody come alongside you and experience freedom from this. As we started out with this morning in Romans, Paul says that if you are a believer, you are no longer a slave to sin. That is our identity in God. Sin is not our master anymore. And so take these steps and don't go back 
to living that way. And if you're not a believer and maybe you're living in bondage to sin and you don't know what it's like to experience the freedom that comes from Jesus, if you just want to catch me at the end of the service, I'd love to talk to you. All of us here, we're just a church of imperfect people trying to be more like Jesus. And none of us have it all together, but we're on this journey together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that our identity is to not be slaves to sin anymore. I thank you that you have rescued us from that sin. And I, I, sometimes I struggle to even just wrap my mind around um, just how corrupt, how broken we are, how our, our lives represented everything that goes against you. And yet you still loved us. You still met us in our brokenness. You didn't wait for us to clean up our act. God, we couldn't have done that anyways. Uh, there's nothing that we can offer you um, to earn it or to feel like we are worthy of it. It's all undeserved. God, none of us have this all together. Uh, I pray that for all of us as we leave this morning that we would be reminded of that, that we, there would be none of us who think, well, as long as I don't do any of those big sins, then I've, I've pretty much got it together. God, help us to search our hearts, um, see what's inside of us, and um, help us to just take those next steps in experiencing freedom that comes from Jesus. And I ask that we can just come alongside each other as a church and do this together. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.